Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. This past week, the online journal, Inc., published a story entitled this, Warren Buffett says that the difference between truly successful people and the rest of us boils down to one word. Well, with a title like that, I've got to read the piece, find out what the one word is. Even though I already had a sneaking suspicion, I knew. I don't know if it was from reading Buffett before or from just living life, and I suspect that you know as well. But just to make certain that we're all on the same page together, here is how Marcel Schwantes, who wrote the piece, began. Warren Buffett has captured our imagination with business wisdom that defies conventional thinking. One infamous Buffettism has garnered a lot of debate since he first said it years ago. It's a quote about the difference between successful people and really successful people. Here's what Buffett said verbatim, said Schwantes. The difference between successful people and really successful people is that really successful people say no to almost everything. No to almost everything. Is he right? Schwante said there's been a lot of debate. Is he right? Well, I'm inclined to think he is. After all, he's a billionaire and I'm not. (laughs) So I'm inclined to think that. But just in case you're still questioning a bit, Schwantes gives another well-known name a paragraph or two later. This is what he writes. Steve Jobs, at the Apple Worldwide Developers Conference in 1997, said this. People think focus means saying yes to the thing you've got your focus on. But that's not what it means at all, says Jobs. It means saying no to the hundred other good ideas that are there. You have to pick carefully. I'm actually as proud of the things we haven't done as the things I have done. Innovation is saying no to a thousand things. Always remember that devoting attention and focus to something, whether it's an investment opportunity, a new product launch, or a new hobby, means taking away time from something else. No. That's the word, according to both Buffett and Jobs. Well, they're probably right. Probably all of us could say no many more times to opportunities and even to people. But it's not quite so easy, is it? It's not quite so easy to speak that word. So one of our fellow church members here, Marion Wagner, She and her husband, Bob, have been involved in different ways over the years with our different ministries, and they've contributed a lot to our common life. But Marion contributed to my life. She knew I have a hard time saying no. She knew that. 
So one day she gave me a gift, and she said, this gift is going to help you a great deal. I want you to leave it right here on your desk, and I want you to use it when people ask you to do things. I said, okay, open it up, and here was the gift. So she said, somebody says, could you do this? It'll only take five minutes. You press the button. For the last time, no. <laughs> somebody says, can you fly across the country and speak, preach this sermon? And you push the button. No. And somebody else says, well, Randy, what about doing this? You just push the button. No. <laughs> and so I keep this on my desk. I don't use it, but I keep it on my desk <laughs> as a reminder to say no, no matter how hard it might be. Because I think Buffett and Jobs have a point. We need to learn to say no. Now, with that thought running around in our minds, we go back to Galatians 5. As you know, this series, Fruitful, has focused on the fruit of the Spirit and the different virtues that make it up in Galatians 5. So we come back today for the last on the list. That last one is self-control. But read the verses with me again. We've read them numerous times, but let's go back once more. Galatians 5, starting in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. I want to start today with that last phrase, that last sentence, because it's a bit bewildering, a bit befuddling. We read of all of these good virtues, and then there's this line that says there, there's no law against these things. We think, well, obviously not. What exactly is Paul referring to? Well, to paraphrase a bit, but also to put it in its context, you have to remember that Paul writes the Galatian epistle to Galatian churches that are experiencing an onslaught of a theology that is telling them you have to fulfill the laws of Moses and especially circumcision. That Paul, he's out there saying whatever he's saying, that's not right. You can't stop doing that because they were apparently saying, if you stop doing that, that will be the camel's nose in the tent. It will start the downhill slide. And once you abandon that law, who knows what kind of moral decadence will begin to set in. So you've got to draw a line. You've got to keep the law. And Paul writes... And he says, is that so? So that's the camel's nose in the tent, is it? And if that happens, if you stop circumcising, then everything is going to slide downhill into moral decadence. Is that true? You think that's what I'm saying about the life of liberty in the spirit? Let me tell you what will actually happen. Remembering that the purpose of law is to restrain evil, to hold it back, I'm going to suggest to you that there is no amount of law-keeping that can create the kind of person who is created when the Spirit of God fills them. And they live the life of freedom in the Spirit. So here, says Paul, is what it will look like. When you live the life of freedom in the Spirit, you will have a community of people who are filled with love and joy and peace, and patience, and he goes down the list. And that, he says, no amount of law-keeping will ever produce that. 
Only the Spirit of God will do that. That's Paul's point. The life of liberty in the Spirit of Jesus is not a life that slips downhill. It's a life that grows more robust. And so today we come to that last one in the list. Self-control. Who wants to talk about self-control? In fact, we have some questions for Paul. Paul, why did you put this on the list? And why did you put it last on the list? I mean, when I look at a list, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 7, 8, 9, I'm tempted, tempted to think that one is the most important. I mean, after all, it's love. Two is next most important, joy. Three is next. And, and then by the time you got down to nine, you're just looking for anything to throw in there. Okay, let's use this one. Put self-control on there. Is that what you're doing? What exactly, Paul, is self-control? What is it? Now, I like to wonder, what if Paul happened to be standing here today, alive today, and we were able to ask him, what is self-control? I think Paul might say, well, look at the world around you. Ask some of the people who may know what it is, about what it is, about how important it is, about whether we need to practice, practice it. Ask some people. So we say, all right. We'll ask some folk. And so I say to Tom Brady, winning a Super Bowl quarterback in history, he's going to be able to retire. By the time he retires, he'll go straight to the nursing home. He'll be that old. <laughs> he's still playing at a high level. And so I say to him, uh, Tom, and he says to me, that's Mr. Brady to you, Cowboys fan. I say, oh, okay, all right, so you're going to be that way. Very good. Mr. Brady, what do you know about self-control? He says, well, let, let, let me just say this. Um, I take care of myself, take care of my body. For example, he says, depending on where I am in my training, I will drink 12 to 25 glasses of water a day. Uh, 25 you can't get far. I mean, that's a lot of water. Wow. Well, self-control. And he says, my chef says, you have a chef? <laughs> my chef says, Mr. Brady, 80% of what you all eat in this household are vegetables. Just like you all. 80% of what you eat are vegetables. And you say, wow. That takes some self-control. And so we say to Paul, is that what you're talking about? He says, well, it's a, it's a good start. That's good. But keep asking. All right? Well, maybe we'll ask a person who knows a lot about self-control because he studied self-control. Walter Mischel, back in right around 1970, performed an experiment that has become so well-known that lay people who don't do anything with the study of psychology often recognize the experiment. It's come to be known as the marshmallow experiment. You remember that experiment. So what Mischel did was he set up a room with a camera that could capture what was going on in the room. He put a table in there, put a chair or two beside the table, depending if one or two kids were going to come in. And then on the table, he put a plate. And on that plate, he put a marshmallow. A marshmallow just dripping with veg, I mean, sugar. 
uh, just dripping with. And then he brought kids in, brought a kid in one at a time or two at a time. He set them there in front of the marshmallow. Does that marshmallow look good? Yes, it looks good. Okay, you can have that marshmallow. If you want to eat it, I'm going to leave the room for you. i got to go take care of something. But this button right here, you can press it, ring a bell. I'll come right back. You can eat the marshmallow. Or if you just wait until I come back, if you just wait till then, you'll get two marshmallows. And then he captures what happens. And these kids are squirming in their seat. They're stretching. They're reaching. And then they're pulling back. They're smelling it. One kid's looking up like to say, oh, God, please help me. I mean, they're, they're, they're doing all kinds of antics, just trying to resist reaching for that marshmallow. Some of them press the button within a minute. Okay, I've had enough of this. And they press the button. Some went as long as 15 minutes without pressing the button. So reflecting on that experiment, David Brooks, New York Times columnist, writes this about the marshmallow test. The children who waited longer went on to get higher SAT scores. They got into better colleges and had, on average, better adult outcomes. The children who rang the bell quickest were more likely to become bullies. They received worse teacher and parental evaluations 10 years on and were more likely to have drug problems at age 32. Mitchell concluded that, many ch that children may be taught that it pays to work toward the future instead of living for instant gratification. So we say to Paul, is that it? Is that what you're talking about? Hold back, say no, delay gratification. Paul says, that's good. That's good. You're on the right track. There may be more to it. Really? All right, so we're going to talk to A.J. Jacobs. A.J. Jacobs may be a familiar name to you. A.J. Jacobs is an American columnist. He's an experimenter in a certain sense of the word. He's an author. He's a speaker. So A.J. Jacobs, in a sense, has become a living experiment of all kinds of different things. So I want to read you his self-description from his own website. Here's what Jacob says about himself. On a mission to improve every aspect of my life, from love to work to happiness, I became a human guinea pig. Hmm. I immersed myself in a series of radical lifestyle experiments. I changed the way I thought, talked, and looked. I followed old wisdom and new science. I saw the world from the eyes of a woman. I followed the wisdom of George Washington. I outsourced my life. I engaged, I'm afraid to say, <laughs> in public nudity, not all at the same time. These projects wreaked havoc on my life and drove my wife and me both to the brink of insanity, but also gave me interesting insights. So what were the kinds of things Jacobs did? He outsourced his life, hiring people halfway around the world to manage every single element of his life, answering the phone, answering emails, paying the bills, whatever it was they could do from a country around the world, he outsourced his life for a period of time. What's that like? He spent a year trying to obey every single commandment he could find in the Bible. He wrote a book about it, The Year of Living Biblically. He did everything, grew the long beard, tried to yeah, stone an adulterer. That didn't go so well, but uh, other kinds of things. The year of living biblically. But his experiment, the one that interests me this morning, 
was when for one month he joined a movement called the Radical Honesty Movement. Radical Honesty. So the Radical Honesty Movement says you must never lie, ever. Always tell the truth. And I mean, there's some here who would say, okay, I can buy onto that. That's the Radical Honesty Movement. But that's not where they stop. They said, not only must you always speak the truth, but you must speak every thought that comes through your mind. If it comes into here, it comes out here. You just say it, no matter to who, no matter what it is. And the things that get said, wow. You got a big nose, you know that? Wow, you're not looking so good today. You know that dress kind of makes you look fat. Anything that comes in here comes out here. Can you imagine? No self-control whatsoever. The filter is gone. I want you to listen to how Jacobs describes that month. He says, this was the worst month of my life. I had to spend the following weeks apologizing to everyone I offended. But it was also one of the most illuminating. So as I was reading about what Jacobs did this month of no self-control, no filter on his words, I found a chat board where others were chatting in about their relationship to this radical honesty movement and to what Jacobs had done. Here's what one poster said. He said, if you haven't figured it out already, this is a terrible, terrible idea. I tried a variant of this for about two years in college, and it caused way more problems than it solved. Actually, I don't think it solved any problems. No self-control. Just speak what you think. To whomever, whatever. We say to Paul, is that why you're concerned about self-control? He says, well, it's a valid point, but you better talk to James about that. He's the one that's talking about the things we say. I'm still interested in what you're thinking, Paul. So let's make one more stop, one last stop. This one with Marco Ikeobani. He's an MD, PhD down at UCLA. He's a professor, the Brain Mapping Center there. Uh, he's been asked questions many times about issues having to do with the brain and also issues in human behavior. An online journal asked him about the difference between people who were able to control their anger and people who were not. Why is that important? Is that important? I want you to read you Ikeobani's response. He says, about a year ago... I was at the World Economic Forum, and we had a dinner with talks on intelligence. University of Michigan professor of social psychology Richard Nisbet, the world's greatest authority on intelligence, plainly said that he'd rather have his son be high in self-control than intelligence. Notice that line. The, the chief authority on intelligence, I'd rather have my son have good self-control, high in that, than high in intelligence, according to Nisbet. Self-control is, well, is the key to a well-functioning life. Is that what you're talking about, Paul? When you add self-control? And why did you put it last? I think Paul might say about there, you're getting close. You're getting very close. Here's the interesting reality. When we listen to people like Buffett and Jobs 
And some of the others who speak about saying no, if you're going to succeed, if you're going to be really successful, you've got to learn to say no a lot to a lot of opportunities and to a lot of people. We intuitively recognize that there is truth to what they're saying. But that's not Paul's primary point. In fact, I want to read you just two sentences from a New Testament scholar named Walter Hansen as he unpacks the meaning of the word and the intent of Paul's inclusion of self-control in this list. Here's what Hansen says. Self-control is the opposite of self-indulgence. Those who are spirit-led will have the strength to say no to themselves. Not necessarily all the people out there. Not necessarily all the many opportunities. But those who are spirit-led will have the ability to say no to the hardest person of all. Me. Self-control is the ability to say no to ourselves. I suspect if we think about it, we almost intuitively recognize the truth and the importance of that. Whether we're talking about the physical arena of our lives, the emotional arena, the relational arena, or even the spiritual arena of our lives. We probably, if we think about it, intuitively recognize that as we come to maturity in any or all of these different arenas of our lives, part of the marker of maturity is that we come to realize I simply cannot do everything I want to, follow every whim I have, give in to every tantalizing temptation that appears, or act on every thought that enters my mind and still be a mature, well-rounded person. I can't do that. I can't eat every cookie I want to eat and still have a healthy body. I can't buy everything my eye desires without swimming in debt. I can't speak every word that enters my mind without fracturing relationships. I can't spend all the time I want to online and still function effectively with other people and without damaging myself. In other words, there comes a point in our maturation process where we recognize if I'm going to be a mature person in any of these arenas and certainly in the spiritual arena, I'm going to have to say no to me. Who wants to talk about self-control? That's not a popular topic. When I settled down on this week's work for this week's sermon, I you know, had thoughts like, Wow, maybe we can make this an eight-part series and just kind of say, well, you know, Paul, he just... But there it is. Self-control. The ability to say no to ourselves. Do you realize we have the greatest of all models and the greatest of all inspirations? Also from the pen of Paul, that epic hymn to humility. Philippians 2, where Paul says, Jesus Christ, equal with God, did not claim his right by gripping onto his 
prerogative as God, but surrendered it. In other words, said no to himself and stepped down the starry stair steps of the sky, wrapped in human flesh, and became just I'm going to need a mic over here, Richard. Am I back on? Can you hear me? Maybe the best of all illustrations, Philippians 2, could easily have said, no, 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 no. This is my right. I'm going to hang on to this. Instead, said no to himself. It's the power. We would not be here today were it not for that. Or consider our scripture passage for today, read so well by, well by Ava Bali. 1 Corinthians 9, again, from the pen of Paul. Paul is trying to talk there about spiritual discipline, but he's using physical examples of it. So he talks about athletes, he talks about boxing, and he talks about racing. And he says, any athlete intent on winning goes into This is the way the NIV renders it. Goes into strict training. It's the same Greek word. Same Greek word he uses in Galatians 5 that is translated self-control. Goes into strict training. Exhibits self-control. Says no to himself, to herself. The hardest person to say no to. And that's the picture, the illustration Paul uses of self-control. It is simply saying no to me. So Paul, why did you make that last on the list? Did it just get included? Was it accidental? Is there no meaning to the fact that it's last? Or are those New Testament scholars who suggest that it was last for a very specific reason correct? They suggest self-control comes at the end because it is the summary and the means of growing the other virtues of the fruit of the Spirit in my life. In other words, without this last one, this ninth one, self-control, saying no to myself, I cannot fully grow any of the other virtues in my life. Think about it this way. This week, there's a moment when you need to express love to some important person in your life, a child, a parent, a spouse, And you realize at one key moment, in order for me to express love to them in a way that they will truly experience it, it's going to mean I have to give up on something I want, I desire. I don't want to do that. But you know they need the love you can offer. In order to grow in that first virtue of the fruit of the Spirit, you will have to say no to you to make that expression of love possible. Or what about peace? Love, joy, peace. 
You read one morning this week for, for your devotionals. You read the Beatitudes, and you read that Beatitudes that's where Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And you say, God, make me a peacemaker. And that day, you run into them on the sidewalk. That person wounded you, and you have been angry ever since they did. You've just been waiting for the opportunity to even the score, to set the record straight, to get back, make them hurt like they made you hurt. And then the Spirit brings it to mind. Blessed are the peacemakers. And you have a decision to make. You may have to pray, God... Give me the self-control, the ability to say no to what I really want to do in order to grow the virtue of peace in my life. Or what about patience, forbearance? You're a parent. You've said no and no and no again. And now in the last six, seven, eight minutes, this child has asked you ten times, Mommy, 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 Daddy, Daddy, and, and you've just had it. It's like, okay, and now you're going to turn around, you're going to scream and yell at them, get to your room, you're going to make them cry, and just get them out of your space. Because you've got stuff to do. And then you remember, the Spirit of Jesus is growing Patience in me, way too slowly, growing patience. And you have to decide, will I say no to what I really want to do and say to allow space for patience to grow? So maybe, Paul, maybe you did intentionally make that virtue last. As though to say, the beauty of all the other virtues and the Spirit growing them in our lives is deeply necessary, but you're going to have to have the last one if you have any hope of growing the others. And it becomes, maybe, the most important means of growing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And it's right about them that I say, God, this is impossible. I can't do that. I'm always blowing it, always failing. What? I can't do that. And that's when Paul says, wait a minute, Randy. Don't forget, this is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of Randy. This is the fruit of the Spirit in your life. So when you need greater self-control, when you need deeper love, when you need more long-lasting patience and you're struggling with those, what you need to ask for is a deeper draft of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because the Holy Spirit will grow the fruit. So what about it? Are Buffett and Jobs and all the others correct? Do we need to say no to most everyone and everything if we're going to be truly successful in life? Probably so. But that's not Paul's primary point. Paul's primary point is, if you want to live the life of the Spirit 
and effectively and bountifully bear fruit. You will need to learn to say no to the most difficult person of all. You. And the only way that happens is by the presence, the promise, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Gracious God, we need the Spirit. Let there be no doubt about that. Because without the Spirit, it's hopeless. But with the Spirit, we praise you that our lives can bear fruit. In his name we pray. Amen. Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at lluc.org.